Hello everyone, and today we are joined by Dave Fever. So I've known Dave for, well, well over 10, 10, 15 years now, and he's top physician. At least. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he's in maybe the most studious backdrop we've ever had, uh, so I'm looking forward to hearing what he's got to say for himself. So Dave, thank you for joining us. No problem. So there's loads to talk about, and I met you your days at Blackburn Rovers, but just tell me how you got involved in physio, not even in sport, but how, how do you start out in physio? Yeah, good question. Um, I didn't really want to be a physio, I wanted to be a PE teacher, and I set my goals on, on going to Loughborough and doing all that, and at that time, when I was at school, that basically that was a, a big job to do, but the only way to be a PE teacher was to, be, was to go to Loughborough, and I remember going for the interview at Loughborough, and um, I went down, I was playing rugby for Yorkshire at that time. So I was dead chuffed and you were meant to go down in your blazer with this badge on and so on. And I got there and I sat in the waiting room and everybody else had international uh, jackets on and I had a Yorkshire jacket on. So I knew straight away I wasn't going to get in at Loughborough. And uh, the school said, well, try Carnegie at Leeds. And I went, no, nah, if I can't get into Loughborough, I don't want to do it. And uh, I started to just look around to see what else to do. And then lo and behold, there was spaces going at Salford. And I thought, Physio, yeah, there, were, there weren't many male physios at that time. I think probably Mark would have would have gone to that as well. So I thought, why not? And looking at what the grades were, I mean, anybody listening to this who's just applied to physio, you needed two A-levels at that time, any grades. So you only needed two E's to get in. So that obviously seemed quite an easy course in terms of getting into it. In fact, it felt too easy, but mainly because it was female-dominated. Um, at that time, that's how jobs, unfortunately, were, were laid out in terms of salaries and in terms of, of application to get on the course. And one of the issues was, was actually getting onto a college that would take males. Um, so the daft thing is now people talk about sexual discrimination and so on. Can I just reiterate from the other side that when I was training, there was only four schools in the whole of England would take male physios, of which were Salford, Middlesbrough, I think it was Nottingham. Um, and the other one was, oh, good question, Sheffield, I think. But other than that, there was nowhere else would take male physios because they said they didn't have changing rooms for males. And that was the reason why we weren't allowed to go to any of the London ones and so on. So it was very anti-male in terms of going into the profession. Um, How big was that? So was physio a, a big thing then? or was it um, Just in the hospitals, really. And then you had the odds, you know, the bucket and sponge man who worked with with sport at that time. So at that time, it, was, it, it wasn't a profession that males went into, which, again, probably has helped my career in the fact that there weren't that many males qualifying at that stage. So I'd read books by, you know, physios at that time that I would have looked up to would have been the guy called Harold Shepherdson, who was at Middlesbrough in England. Um, uh, who else would there have been? Uh, I'm trying to think now who was at the ones at Man United, you see, weren't big names. Um, Laurie Brown, he was a, a physio who I worked with for a short time at Lancashire Cricket Club, but Laurie was one of the lead ones as well in terms of it. Dennis Wright, who was my mentor. Um, so there weren't many around. It was very sparse and there were very few. And I, it just seemed a good opportunity. And I wanted to do sport, but I wanted to do something in terms of exercise. So physio seemed to fit the bill, but it wasn't something that was really marketed as a, as a job career for males. Certainly, it was more a female profession. So you didn't feel like it was a passion particularly for you then? Not really. I just At that time, I was still playing sport to a decent level. And one of the reasons for coming over to Salford was also I could carry on playing rugby union. Um, so I was playing rugby union to a good level at that time. And there was good clubs around here. Um, so I played at several clubs in, in the Northwest. Um, while I was training as a physio and it fitted in quite well really that I could play over here because where I came from in Doncaster there weren't many big rugby union clubs so it, it meant I could train and play for them and then at the same time try and get a career in some sort of job which was basically being a physio and it was as I say the PE teacher went out the door once I decided Loughborough wouldn't take me um, so I ended up at Salford which again wasn't the most glamorous of places to go to but it was one of the few that would take males, so it was it fitted in for me in my rugby playing rather than in terms of of wanting to be um, of wanting to be a physio at that stage. Okay, and so what happened from there then? From there, once I qualified, um, I went to work at Ancoats in Manchester, which now is quite a, a posh part of Manchester. But at that time, it was a pretty rough area. Um, most of our patients came from strange ways or from um, 
that area in Manchester, which was a bit rough, but it was a great place to learn. And it very, very luckily, I worked at a hospital that was the orthopedic hospital in Manchester, which was Ancoats. And the main orthopedic surgeon was the orthopedic surgeon to the Queen, um, a guy called Harold Thompson. And so it was a great grounding place to learn about MSK physio and orthopedics, which is what I, my interest was. And at that time, he was one of those guys that he would only do a ward round on a Saturday morning. And as a physio, you weren't expected to be on a Saturday, but because it was him, my boss used to say, right, every morning, every Saturday morning, we have to be in because he won't respect physio. And then you had to go and have tea with him and sit and listen to his stories for an hour. And, and that's how you got into knowing about the orthopedic side of it. And that's how I first started in sport then, because we had a phone call probably my first year um, from Lancashire Cricket Club saying they wanted, was there a physio there that'd be interested in coming to do mornings because Laurie Brown had his own clinic in Staley Bridge and he couldn't do the mornings. And my boss at the time, she said, look, there's a job, there's this opportunity, do you fancy it? I went, yeah, of course I do. I said, I want to get into sport. Um, it's just, I don't want to stop playing sport myself. And it fitted in that I could take half a day's holiday. The hospital had let me do it and then go and work at Old Trafford. So I did that for a season and it was a great experience. He was a really good guy. He, he, he was a guy that had obviously been in football at Man United for many years. And then most people probably know he had a, a problem off, away from the pitch. The manager and his wife had an affair and it was all over the press. So my first week there, he said, right, come on, we'll go for a drink. And we went for, he said, right, there's one question you want to ask me. And I said, not really, because I wanted to avoid the subject. And he just came out and told me the whole story. And he was such a lovely man. He's, he was really, really good. And he looked after me for a year. And uh, I can't praise him enough in terms of his help he gave me. And then he put me in touch with Dennis Wright, who was my mentor in terms of, of being a physio. Um, so at that time, I'd, there was a job going at Rochdale and everybody wanted to work for Dennis. And Dennis uh, was very old school, uh, wore a white tunic, out the, looked like he was out of the army, very military base, very few words. And I remember going up to Rochdale to have an interview and uh, he picked me up from the station, got in for the interview. And my girlfriend at the time had arranged to meet her in Manchester for lunch. And uh, not a problem. I'll be done. You know, I've got to be in Rochdale for nine. I'll be back in Manchester for 12. So I walked into the hospital at Rochdale Infirmary, which I don't know whether you know it, but it's in, it's in a row of terraced houses. It's in quite a not, a, not particularly nice area. And I went in and he, um, he threw me a white coat. So I said, uh, put that on. I said, what for? I said, your interview. Said you're here all day and you're going to do patients and assess them. And I'm going to watch you. So I was there for eight hours and he watched every assessment I did with all his patients. He brought me in and he he handpicked them. I did about ten assessments and that was my interview for the day, eight hour interview. And um, at the end of it, the next day I got a phone call to say he wanted to offer me a job and I turned it down. And uh, the reason being was that I couldn't travel. I wasn't driving then, so I couldn't travel from where I was living to play rugby. And at that time, my rugby meant more to me. So I said, look, I can't take the job. I said, it's too far for me to travel. I can't train and play. I can't live in Rochdale. Thanks very much for the offer. And, and I kicked myself, really. I should have taken the job. And then, lo and behold, two years later, he rang, when I took the job at Ancoats, he rang me again after I'd finished at Lancashire. Um, he was working at Salford Rugby League Club um, at the Willows, and I was living in that area. So he said, look, he said, uh, I'm going to have to have a couple of years off because I'm having an operation on my back. And he said, how do you fancy coming in and take over at Salford from me? I went, oh, how good would that be? And I remember going down to the Willows just to look in this little treatment room and Dennis was in there and they had some big name players then, which for most people, unless you're my generation, Peter Williams, Keith Fielding, who was in the Superstars originally, one of the first people off BBC TV Superstars. So they had some top players and they were a top club, Salford. And I went in and he said, look, I want you to take over for 18 months. And I went, oh, it'd be brilliant. And I went back that night, back to my flat, and uh, went in and I changed my mind again. And I went, no, I don't want to do it. And I rang him up. I said, Dennis, I hate to do this twice. But I said, I said, I can't do it. He said, why? I said, uh, I said, well, it means I've got to stop playing rugby and I'm only 24. And I, I want to give it a couple of years to try and get higher up the ladder. I still think I've got it in me to get higher up the ladder. And if I don't do it now, I'll never do it. You know, I can come back to physio at any time. And I come up, remember putting the phone down thinking, oh, no, I've made another major error. It turned Dennis Wright down twice. And uh, I went back, went back to play and I wasn't, I didn't get any further in the next 18 months. And then lo and behold, he rang me again and um, I got into rugby league then and I started working at Lee Rugby and Dennis was at Wigan, but Dennis put a good word in for me. 
And then I did how many years at Wigan? At Lee, I did four seasons at Lee. And then the job came up at Wigan to work with Dennis. And uh, Maurice Lindsay, who's the chairman of the Rugby League, he got older me because I'd been doing some work with the, the national team. And uh, I ended up working at Wigan with Dennis. So thankfully, third time lucky, I ended up working with Dennis Wright. And it was the best two or three years of my life. I learned so much from him. Not just about physio, but about life and other things as well. He was a great, great man. And he, the sad thing was that when he was, he, he, unfortunately, he became very ill. And his wife rang me and said, can you come round to the house? And he used to live in Rochdale. And I went over and I used to sit and take notes off him. And he was, he was obviously struggling. He was, he'd got various problems and he hadn't got long to live. And I ended up writing these notes down for him. I wanted to write a book. I wanted to write a book. I wanted to do all these things. So I just sat with him for a few hours um, every couple of weeks, made notes for him. And then eventually when I did write a book, some of, a lot of that content was actually pushed from Dennis. Um, so I was lucky to work with him. I've been turned him down twice. It was uh, a, a lucky turn for me. Why was he so good then? Why was he? Why did you he? He was one of them guys. I don't know whether, I don't know whether you get away with it now. But he was one of those guys who was very strict, very determined. Wouldn't let you. He, he believed in values um, and hard work and ethics and, and things like that. And he wouldn't tolerate fools. So he could be quite abrupt and quite abusive at times male and female it didn't matter but the people who worked for him um lynn booth who's a famous physio who's lynn was my generation lynn worked with him she was like dennis's number two and dennis either loved you or hate you it was there was no in between and i was lucky i got on brilliantly with him and i remember again one of the first he was doing a lecture conference at rochdale and he asked me to speak and i went sure yeah me and on the same menu as sort of like Dennis Wright and Limbu. Wow, I thought I'd really made it. And I did my talk and he was sat in the background and he was watching the whole thing. And he got like these piercing eyes and he would just look at you. And I did it and I finished it. And he came up to me and went, not bad that lad. So which for him was a compliment. And he said, uh, he said, the only problem is you've got one problem. He said that, he said, you, you nicked some of my jokes. And that's how he was. And that's, and he just was a great man. Great man, and unfortunately, you know, a lot of physios never got a chance to work with him because he he'd been a footballer himself. He worked at Oldham, um, worked in Rochdale, didn't flag himself up as a big name, but he had a lot of people come and see him because of his reputation. But uh, yeah, no, no, he was top guy. How would that? Because the stuff that you're saying there, that sounds a lot like your character. I would say. You think? I would say so. I think. I think in terms of another story, I'd say to me when I worked at I was lucky when I worked at Wigan with him. When we went to the years I worked at Wigan, I was there for five years, and we had every year. I think in the five years I was there, we won the treble three times, and then we went to Wembley five years in a row. And the, one of the things at Wembley was they used to go down on the Thursday. It was very traditional at Wigan. You'd go on the Thursday, then you'd go into into London see a show, um, or you'd go to a boxing. We went to watch Lennox Lewis, I remember. So the whole squad would go. Then the next day we'd train be prepared, go to Wembley in the afternoon and play the cup final on the Saturday. And my first year with Dennis, I was sharing a room with Dennis. So I went in and I was just starting to learn about isokinetics. And I'd gone in and I got this great big book. And um, I, I brought the book in and he said, what's that? I said, it's about isokinetics. He said, uh, does it have a plug on it? I went, yeah. He said, bloody useless. He said, it's stronger than that. So he said, uh, I said, what do you mean? He said, well, it's electrical, it's not exercise. It says it is, you want to read it? No, nah, I'm not wasting my time. So 10 minutes later, there was a knock on the door and one of the players came knocking on, did we want to go and play snooker? So they were going down the snooker club. So Dennis didn't want to go because Dennis was quite a bit older than the lads. And I went, yeah, I'll come. So I went, left the book on the bed, came back in the room about two hours later, he sat on the bed reading the book. It's about 30 pages in. He went, you didn't tell me it was about bloody exercise. I said, well, you never give me a chance to tell you. Just because it had a plug on it, he switched off. And that was how he was. He was. He was. So I, I always use that quote when I'm lecturing quite a lot about it. It's got a plug on it. It's no bloody use because that's what Dennis always used to say to me. Yeah. Um, but then I think as he mellowed over time, when he realised there were one or two things that were quite useful in, in physio. But obviously, from his generation, it was all medicine balls and gym exercise, and which is great. And that's that's the era that I I learnt up in, and that's that's why I'm like I am now. I think. Mm. And then, so when you go into Wigan then, so how, how successful were they being at that point then? Uh, well, you have to remember, I came from Lee, who weren't very successful. Lee Rugby was, we had 
Alex Murphy, Billy Benyon were coaches and, and Lee was relegation material for the two or three years I was there. And then somehow I got the, I, I got the national job and I went, I remember applying for the Great Britain Rugby League job and uh, thinking I've no chance of getting this because I'm at a club that's not fashionable. I'm on my own most of the time by the doctor on a Sunday. And I remember going for the interview and at that time, I remember coming back home and my ex-wife, she said, oh, you'll get that job, you'll get that job. And I was like, nah, not going to get it. I said, no chance. I'm not at St. Helens or at Warrington or Castleford or Leeds. I'm at a club that nobody fancies. It's, I'll never get it. And the next morning, I got a phone call from David Oxley saying they'd like to offer me the, the Lions job. Um, and we were playing in France in Perpignan. So they said, would I come and do the French game? And then they would run the rule over me and decide if I was fit enough to go on the 14-week tour to Australia and New Guinea. So um, I went and um, at that time did the job. And Maurice Lindsay was chairman for the Rugby League and he travelled with us. And after that tour, he said, look, we needed another physio to come in with Dennis. How do you fancy coming in? So I ended up leaving Lee, albeit that the club tried to get compensation for me because I, was, I wasn't contracted to Lee. I was paid 100 quid a week for doing 25 hours. Um, and it used to pay in cash on a, on a, like on a Thursday in a brown envelope, it used to get you 100 quid. And I'd done 20 hours, so I did Saturday and Sunday and then Tuesday and Thursday nights on top of my normal job. So uh, luckily I worked in Bolton and then I could travel to Lee and did that for, for three years at Lee and then ended up going to Wigan for five years. Uh, on the same thing really, and ironically on the same money. It worked out exactly the same, but that time I'd moved to Fairfield in St. Helens. So I was, I was running the rehabilitation department there which was handy for Wigan because I could get in and out of Wigan easy. It was just a bit of a drive from where I lived to do it. But it was worth it. It was worth every, every minute of it. Because in that time, you were doing a 40-hour week at the hospital, and then I was doing 20-plus hours at uh, the rugby. And by this time, I'd stopped playing rugby because I knew I wasn't getting any better. So I sort of retired when I was 26 from playing. Um, not through injury, just not getting any better. So it was time to get into physio. So if you were doing... So you were doing well one and a half jobs there although I'm sure the the rugby must have been pretty intense in itself yeah so like, how did you manage that just from a, a physical thing then anyway oh difficult I used to the two sessions in a week we did at Wigan we used to do a Tuesday night so that was all right I'd do it on the way home so I used to live I lived in Presswich traveled to St Helens in the morning so I'd be up at five in the morning I'd get there, and a lot of the private patients wanted to be in at 6, 6.30 in the morning to get to work. So I had to leave home 5 o'clock every day, get up to St. Helens, start work. Um, and then obviously, after I'd finished work at 5.30, I'd call in at Wigan on the way home, do training, and then drive home, get home at half 11, and then set off again at 5 in the morning. And I did that for five years. And it was like, it was a, when you look back at it, you think, I did it because I loved it, and I loved doing it. And, uh, I, you know, to do that job and to work and to do Wigan. I, and what I really wanted to do was go full-time at Wigan. That was always, that's what I dreamed of doing at that time. But there wasn't the money in rugby league. So, um, as I say, I did that on the basis that hopefully, eventually, I might get a full-time job in, in rugby league. And because I was the physio for the national team, um, so we did three tours. So I did um, the 1990 tour, the 1992 tour, which is Australia, New Zealand and New Guinea. And then in 94, we did a, a sevens tournament tour in, uh, in Australia, which was, it was great. So I had, I had three tours in five years, which was tremendous. And the tours then were, they're not like the tours now. We, are, like, we were away 14 weeks and we would, we would have three weeks in New Guinea. We'd have nine weeks in Australia, two weeks in New Zealand. So it was me, a doctor, uh, so I had a guy called Forbes McKenzie and then David Graham, who's David still working in Liverpool now. And, um, and we were going on tour for that period of time. So we're away for 14 weeks with 30 players. It was just the two of us. And then we had a manager, assistant manager, head coach, and that was it. There's only five backroom staff and we have 30 players and the players were very good at self-managing. You know, they, in terms of organizing their own kit, a bit like the all blacks. If you watch the all black stuff where they clean the dressing rooms and all, even though they're the best team in the world, the, the rugby league was based on the same thing, and the players were great. And it was, but they were long days. They were, that was that was a tough tour. I know people might think being abroad and 
living in Australia and New Guinea and all that. It, it is, but it's when you've got to be up at seven in the morning, you're the only medic to treat players before training, then go to training, rehabilitate the players, come back, treat, go back to training, rehabilitate, get to bed at 10, get back up again at six for 14 weeks and travel. It was a great experience. I, I, I mean, you meet the people now and you just straight away you see some of the old players and you go, wow, this is tremendous. And, and the ironic thing is that you look at the team, we have a big team photo upstairs up on the walls from the two tours and it was the old-fashioned cameras where the guy would put the hood on and then you would all stand in a semicircle and you could effectively get on one end of the picture to the other. And uh, I look at the pictures now and out of those pictures, three or four of the players are no longer here. You know, they've passed away and it's... It's quite ironic now when you look every year, you lose one or two more players off that sheet. And, and it, it's, it's a bit strange, really. But um, having been away with people for three and a half months and lived with them, it's, uh, it's a great experience. It, my mum always said, God rest her soul, she said, I went away a boy and came back a man. Because you, you just learn to live and look after yourself and, and deal with it and so on. So it's, it was really good. I can only imagine what it'd be like being away with 30 rugby league players who were uh, yeah. home. I know, and I, I was lucky that the people I worked for, the hospital, they saw it as a good advert for them. So they basically kept my job for me. Uh, the rugby league paid my salary and, and my mortgage and what have you. So financially, it was no problem. And luckily, I came back to a job with the hospital. And then they got, obviously, players coming back from that trip would have surgery they would come back for rehabilitation. So they financially would do well because I would bring the players back into the hospital. And being in Bolton, it was quite handy for players from Yorkshire or Lancashire to come there. So we had a big turnover of top rugby league players coming through the hospital. So it was great for them. It was really good for them. Mm. And, uh, and the same applied when I went to St. Helens. Again, being in rugby league country like St. Helens, the same thing happened there. The turnover of players, the orthopedic surgeon there, Peter Rostron, he worked for St. Helens as well. So with me bringing Wigan players in and him bringing St. Helens players in. And a lot of the players that had been those players then went to play in Leeds and Castleford and so on, but they'd still live in, in Lancashire. So they'd come for rehab there. We had a great turnover. You know, we had the biggest names in rugby league come into the rehabilitation centre there. It was brilliant. Well, I would say that I remember back in that period, like I'm not into rugby, but that team was absolutely iconic, wasn't it? The yeah. Team. Yeah. You, you look back and you you look at those players, you know, we had a, coaches like John Money and John Dorahey, you've got Ellery Hanley, you've got Sean Edwards, you've got Andy Gregory, Fran Obotica, Dean Bell. So you just, they just roll off. I mean, all the Wigan people will know that. And, and you look at some of them now, it was still Andy Farrell was just coming through as a, he was in the academy and played in this, my last cup final for Wigan, Andy Farrell, that was his first cup final. So uh, you see that, Chris Alinsky, who's in the same boat, he's been at Wigan for many years now, was, um, as chief exec and so on so you, there's a lot of people around that you still see Joe Lydon you know, those types of people who are still heavily involved in sport which is great mm. So when you go into the medical department like what is the department like what have they got? Very basic I mean at, at Lee it was it was an old refreshment shed that basically had got a leaking roof and it had got a shortwave diathermy machine and an ultrasound machine and I remember going in on my first day at Lee and uh, I went to move the shortwave machine and I moved it and it was full of water and it had been catching the rainwater coming in. And then I, I went in and there was an old ultrasound machine. And one of the guys, I can remember his name, Brian Gellin, one of the players came in. He said, oh, he said, you're the new physio. I went, yeah. He said, uh, I always have a bit of that on my knee before training. So he pointed to the ultrasound machine. So I looked at it. All right, okay. So I got hold of it. And I put it on myself to test it and it burnt straight away. I could feel it in, in, inside and I went, it's not safe can't use it he went what do you mean i said uh, it burns oh no the physio before you said that's what it's meant to do i said no 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 that tells you the crystal's knackered i said it's no good so that's gonna that's gonna injure you so i had to get rid of it and then bring one in from the hospital just to use it and explain what it was but i learned people say to me about when i'm teaching for the fa now oh well, i only work at such and such a club and i work non-league and I, and i say to them look you should look at it the opposite way it's not a negative it's a positive because it you, if you don't do things, they'll never get done. And that's how I learned at Lee. You know, when people say, oh, you must have had it hard at Lee. No, I didn't. It was a great life and a great time. And I, was, I had to do everything on my own. And so whatever problems we had in the match, then you had to deal with it. I had a doctor on match day. But other than that, any other issues, was, was you, were, 
you sank or swam in that situation. So, so in that situation, you, there's nothing you could throw at me now that I would phase me more than being at Lee. And at that time, I was inexperienced, and yeah, I would have made some mistakes. But at the same time, I think I did most things pretty well. I can't think of anything in my head, but you look back and you think you can't possibly have got everything right. But it's it, at that time, it was a great experience. So I always say to people now, don't don't mock where you're working. You know, if you're working at no disrespect here, FC United or Staley Bridge or whatever, doesn't matter. You'll learn more there than when you work at the bigger clubs when there's too many people there. So I think that's that's what people don't realise sometimes. Remember you saying to me, <clears throat> excuse me, when that when someone would apply for a job with you as well, that you'd want to see that they'd worked NHS and, and, and other areas as well. Yeah, definitely. I, I I tend to have a bias towards somebody who's worked in other sports particularly rugby, because I think if you can cope with the stress of being on a pitch in a rugby league game and dealing with the issues that come along, because every game you're going to get a serious injury, if you can cope with that, you come to the easy world of football, then it makes life a lot easier. So you, you overskill yourselves. So I always do have a precedence of somebody who's worked either in the forces or has worked in rugby or has worked in both, then I think that gives you an advantage. That's my own personal feeling from it. For me to move from rugby to football was far easier because in that situation I'd gone through a lot of trauma with rugby that I still have never seen in football but it, it taught me so much and it gave me an over not an overconfidence it just gave me a reassurance that I, I knew what I was doing and I think that hopefully came through to the players really. Mm. So you mentioned the move to football then so how did that come about? Yeah so at the time I, I was at Wigan and uh I was working at St. Helens and I remember two or three months previously, Brian Kidd had brought a player up for me to see, a lad called David Johnson, who's now an agent and he'd had a cruciate problem and they wanted to play him at the weekend at Man United and he just rang up and said, can you do an assessment on this player? I've heard you've got this machine, the Icecatic machines. Yeah, yeah. So he came up and he was, he was a million miles away from being ready and they were going to play him and I said to, to Brian, I went, Brian, look for me, I've never met David before but I look at what he's like functionally. I know it's I know it's eight, nine months since his operation, but he's not ready yet. His strength's nowhere near. And numerically, I can show you on the screen. So I showed him. We did some other stuff with him. He couldn't stabilise as he should do. He, his hot tests were poor. So I said, he's at least another sort of couple of months away. So they went back and, I, and that wasn't really my problem then, whether he played or not. I'd done what I needed to do. And um, he didn't play. And then a couple of months later, I got a phone call from Brian saying, I don't know whether you're interested, but there's a job going at Man United. Head physio jobs are going to change. So I thought, I have no chance of getting this. You know, I've never worked in football and so on. But I thought, you know what I'll do? I'll use this to my advantage. So I, uh, I went for the interview and uh, Sir Alex was the only person interviewing us and went into his office. And I went, this is going to be great because I'm going to do the interview. Then I'm going to go back to Wigan and I'm going to say, I've just been for a job at Man United. I haven't got it, but I want to go full-time in sport. Can you offer me the job? So when I've gone in, I didn't really have any pre-thoughts that I was going to get the job. All I could think about was that I could use this to my advantage to try and force a job through at Wigan. And I sat down and 20 minutes into the interview, I realised that it wasn't really an interview. Fergie was sort of offering me the job about the money they'd spent on the training facility and so on and the cliff. So I remember going down and he took me to the cliff. We went down in, I think it was Les Olive, the club secretary's car. And we get to the training ground and they put some new equipment in. A company called Force Fitness. I don't know whether they're still going now. And uh, they put this kit in and there was five pieces of kit. There was a, a leg extension machine. There was a bilateral adductor machine. There was a total hip machine, all in Man United colours, looking very nice. So the gaffer showed me the equipment. He said, so what do you think of the equipment? So I said, it looks very nice. I said, uh, how expensive was it? He said, well, probably about £15,000. I said, well, the machines you bought don't really do the job. Because I said, if you look at Mark Hughes playing, because he was there number nine, Mark Hughes, all those machines you bought pull things towards you. And when he's playing in the game, he's pushing people away. So I said, in, in rugby league terms, I said, we do lots of boxing work and stuff where you're pushing people off, tackle bag shields and so on. That's what happens in football. It's a collision sport. It's not... so. So I remember the gaffer going, he said, so you think the, one, the machines are no good? I went, yeah, for me, they're a waste of time. And I thought, well, I've nothing to lose because I'm not getting the job, so I might as well say it. So we went back 
And then he's just said, oh, we'll, we'll be in touch. Went, okay. So the next day I got a phone call from the secretary and said, um, Man United wants to offer you the job. So that put me in a real difficult position then. Which I know it sounds odd talking about it now, but I wanted the job at Wigan. And I remember I phoned up the chairman at the time, Jack Robinson, and we were flying out to Brisbane at the weekend to play against the Broncos in the World Club Challenge final. So this was on the Monday or the Tuesday. I think we were flying out Wednesday and then playing like Sunday. So we weren't getting a lot of acclimatisation because at that time, the World Club Challenge was the best team in Australia against the best team in England. Um, and most of the times, the Aussies loaded it so that the Aussies would always win. So uh, I rang up Jack and said, Jack, I need to speak to you. I said, I've got a problem. So I started. He said, uh, I said, I've been offered the job at Man United. All right, OK. But we're going to Brisbane on Saturday. I said, I know we are. But I said, I've got to make a decision in the next 24 hours. Well, don't you think it's a bit off? I said, what do you mean? I said, uh, you know, we're, we're playing in the World Club Challenge, biggest game of the club's history. I said, I understand what you're saying, but these opportunities don't come around very often. And I said, you know what? I don't sure I really want the job. I said, because I want to work full time in rugby. And I'd hoped, having been at Wigan for five years now, that you'd see there was an opportunity. And well, let's talk about it when we come back from Brisbane and then we'll see where we are. And I said, I can't, I've got to make a decision. And he went, well, I think it's out of order. He said, um, I don't really want to talk about it. So he put the phone down on me. So I thought, what do I do now? So I phoned Morris Lindsay, who was chairman of the rugby league. And I, Morris had been chairman at Wigan. And I said to Morris, I said, got a problem so I told Morris the story and Morris said look Dave if you're an actor where would you want to work I said well Broadway so he said well if you're a physio where would you most want to work well probably Man United so why are you thinking about it yeah because I feel obliged that I should do the game on Saturday in Brisbane and he said well that's not your problem the, the problem is you've 24 hours to make the decision so uh, Morris gave me that advice and I spoke to Malcolm Riley who was the Great Britain coach he said virtually the same thing and that was it. And I thought, you know what? Stuff it. If they can't talk to me over a job, I'm getting paid a hundred quid a week for. And the money at Man United wasn't the big old, you know, that Man United, you know, it wasn't the salary. I was only getting paid a bit more than I was getting paid at the hospital. But um, it was Man United, you know, and you just couldn't turn it down. So I just, I said, well, I haven't got a contract at Wigan. So I took the Man United job and I, I sat there thinking, what have I done? What have I done? You know, and when they, they played, they, fortunately, Wigan played in the final. Um, I didn't go out for the game because Dennis was there. So they had two physios they could take. So they went out, they won the final. And on the Monday they got back and uh, the chairman of Wigan hammered me in the press saying I was out of order. Um, I've, you know, I've sold my soul to football, basically. Um, you've let the club down. I got a right nailing in the, in the Wigan press. So I thought, oh, I don't believe this. I didn't, I didn't, you know, I'm getting paid a hundred quid a week and I'm doing 20 hours. I, you know, I don't make anything out of this. It's not like it's my career, but uh, unfortunately Wigan had won. So I thought, I don't, I don't believe this. And that, so it actually helped me in a way thinking, well, I've made the right decision now. So then when I went to Man U and, and I went in and I thought, well, this is going to be interesting. And my first day, I remember going in the medical room and Paul Ince came in. And Ince's, the character you see on the TV is Ince, he's a great character. And I was lucky that at the time, a lot of the players at Man United, like Ince and Ryan Giggs, used to mix with some of the rugby league lads like Martin Afire and Ellery Hanley, socially. And there'd obviously been a bit of talk that I was going to Man U, and it was in the press and what have you. So they'd already got a bit of a lowdown on me. And it did me a, a massive favour, having worked with Ellery and Martin, to, to having worked with them for five years, to then have... Paul Ince and Gary Pallister and Ryan Giggs go, wow. And they're all big rugby league fans as well. This physio must be all right if he's coming from Wigan. If Martin and Elry say he's okay, then... And that, that was brilliant for me. And I remember going in and Ince went, oh, he said, uh, you're the new physio. So I said, yeah, yeah. He said, well, just to let you know, I'm the governor around here. I said, uh, oh, yeah. I said, I said, I think my remit is that I'm the governor in here and you're the governor out there. So let's just agree to disagree. And he turned around and he went, so you've got a bit of spunk about you then? I went, oh, I like to think I have, yeah. And we got on tremendously well. And even when I worked with him as a manager, he came to Blackburn for a couple of years. I have a lot of time for him to see I like him as a person and get on well with him and, and so on. So it was good. So I went and, and, and that rugby league experience was massive because the lads, and because Wigan was so good at that time, United had just won the double and yet Wigan had won the treble, like I say, I think four years out of five. And rugby league was a big sport then. We played the final, the grand final at, 
at Old Trafford. So there was a lot, a lot of support there for that. So I was lucky that way. It, it made a massive difference to me. Yeah, and when you go in, like you mentioned some of those players from Man U there, again, huge players, and there's even more that you could just reel off even more than the Wigan yeah. ones. So what was that, that, that like going in? Um, not a problem, really, because I was coming in from not being... And I, when I got the job, I remember saying to the gaffer, I went, can I ask you a question? Why have you offered me the job? Because I'm not a football person. He said, well, that's why we've offered you it. We've heard you're okay at your job, and um, we're bringing you in as a physio, not as a supporter. And, and, and actually, by having had that grounding in rugby league, and all the stuff I'd done orthopedically where I'd worked in hospitals, it gave me a great base to, on which to work on, that I was there not as a, you know, a lot of physios at that time were ex-coaches or ex-players or that type of thing, whereas I'd come in as actually as a medic who'd got no interest in football, wasn't a Man United fan, um, and, and basically I was there to do my job of looking after the players. And, and I think in that sense, I've always worked on the remit that, I've had it with other physios where, oh yeah, I can't get on with this patient. I can't get on with that patient. I can honestly say up to this day, I've never had a patient I can't get on with because part of the skill of being a physio is to learning how to get inside that patient and how, what makes them tick. And I think that's one of the things with the players. I sort of learned over time, the players that you need to have an argument with and the players that you need to put your arm around and, and that's effectively the same with any patient. But I think in that situation, I I very quickly picked up um, who were the key players. And I, and I remember, I always think there's five key players in the dressing room. And if you can get on with those five, you'll win the dressing room. So if whenever I go into a club, and even more so now with the work I do now, is try and look and see who were the five key players. So at that time in Man United, there were the five key players. Peter Schmeichel, loud, good at his job, very confident, but you've got to get on with him. Paul Lintz, Fairly similar in that sense. Roy Keane, who was quite quiet at that time, but obviously the silent assassin. Um, so you've got him in that situation. You've got Steve Bruce, who was the captain. So that was really important in terms of getting on with Brucey. And then the other one in terms of, of, of where you are then was obviously Mark Hughes, and then it became Cantona when that came in. So they were the five key ones. And as long as you got on with those people, then you would win the rest of the dressing room, I thought. So that was my five. Before I went in, I thought, which of the five I'm going to try and not over to go that way, but they were the five I felt I needed to get on with pretty quickly. And if they could see that I was half decent at my job, then I think the rest would follow. Uh, and it, it, it stood me in good stead. And I've always carried that through. Every season, I would always look at the five players in the dressing room and go, who do I need to make sure I, I, I tick the boxes with here? Because they'll drag the rest of them through and, and keep the medical room in a good position as to where it should be because so, um, you so you've at least is it two of those that were manager were Blackburn weren't they thank you yeah Nins and Mark Hughes yeah so what like because that the characters then a lot of those have gone on to be successful managers do you think that is is that come from that Fergie's looking at getting in like just just characters do you think that's what it's based on yeah I think I think so I think I think one of the things that the players who develop over time is that obviously to be accepted by Fergie and be part of their team, you have to have some qualities away from the obviously skill element you've got in terms of your game. You've got to have a leadership quality. You've got to have a, an ability to drag your mates through things when things aren't going well. You've got to bring certain things to the table. And I think that's one of the, the, the beauties of the players he had is that he had certain people and that changed over time. You know, your, your Gary Neville's came in who were young, but they were older than the years because of the way they were. So when you look at the treble team and look at the characters there, then, then you've got different characters to the players than when I first went in. You know, and, and that changed each year because obviously when Mark Hughes left, somebody else would come in and who else would be in that five? You know, Peter was obviously still there <coughs> excuse me, for that period of time. So you'd always got Peter Schmeichel there. Roy obviously became a stronger character in the dressing room. Uh, and again, you've got somebody else in that scenario where he was, you know, that that type of individual. So they dragged the other teams through. So that five key players were the ones that dragged the other players through. Um, and that was important, you know, that and it wasn't always about them being the best players. It was just they they had certain qualities, you know. You Dennis Irwins, who was Mr. Reliable, who wasn't didn't make the press, he wasn't but every game he played, he played it to the right. And you knew he was reliable in that situation. And that was 
those were the you know key characters at the right time. Mm-hmm. And that when you're either of these teams, so like when you go to Man U, like do you feel like you become a supporter to some extent though? No, you've got to keep yourself away from that. You have to, you have to, and, and I, I always think you have to sit in the middle of the of the of the training ground. You have to have the players on one side and the coaching staff and the manager on, and you are the go-between. You are the bridge between them. If you go too close to the manager, the players won't trust you. If you go too close to the players, the manager will definitely not trust you, and you could be out of work. You know, I'm, I always feel lucky that, uh, A, I've never been sacked from a job, and I've worked with 17 managers, and I like to think I can sit in that middle where I can get on with both parties. A bit, like I said before, Andy, where learning how to get on with people, and, and how you get on with people is a massive thing, and, and I think one of the if you can call it success, because I haven't been sacked, I'm not quite sure. But I think that ability to get on with coaches and players and create that bridge. You know, I, I see the medical room at a training ground. It's a bit like a, a bit like a tap room in a pub. It's a bit like a social room. In the fact that it's it's not meant to be negative. You know, you've got players in there who are going to be out for seven, eight, nine, ten months. The last thing they need is people, that, you know, white walls, no banter, no laughing and joking because that's going to be a long period of time for them. And, and yet sometimes I hear stories from other medics, oh yeah, the, the gaffer doesn't want people in the medical room unless they're injured or not. It's the opposite. I want them in. I want, you know, we would have quizzes on a Friday afternoon. We'd have various competitions and all the lads had come in, not just the fit injured ones. And then the injured ones still felt part of the squad. Do you know what I'm trying to say? It's, it was, you know, and that was the success A of Man United. And I think the same with Blackburn with the success that Blackburn had. That, it wasn't that we had the best players, but as a squad, it brought people together. And so you read Clive Woodward's books. He talks about energizers and energy sappers. Energizers are great in a squad. They bring the people through. Energy sappers sap the life out of you. They want your time all the time. They don't want to do anything for themselves. And, and you have to get rid of energy sappers and you have to have a, a squad full of energizers. And I think he's got it spot on. You know, in England won the World Cup in the rugby. That's where he based it on. And I, I, still follow that philosophy now you know we look at the medical room and we sit down and we look at the the squad of players we've got and we go who's the energizers on that squad and who's the energy sappers and if they're energy sappers we need to you know we need to get them out of the medical room as quickly as possible because they don't want to sap the life out of that room because that's what you don't need and i think that's that's a key part of managing that department yeah no it's um, funny you mentioned that because i remember coming to have a meeting with you this is blackburn and in there i remember it was robbie savage it was stephen reed's and they seem like pretty big characters. In terms yes, we're doing. You're right. Yeah, Stephen Reed was definitely enjoying doing his bicep curls and was looking in very good shape. Yeah, but you, what you get with Reedy, Reedy's a, one of the hardest working people I've ever known, and very intelligent, very switched on, and he demands from you that you give him your time, which is great. I love it. If a player like that who asks questions and wants to get involved, wants to know things, bring it on. The ones who don't want to do it and just sit there and let you do everything for them, that's the opposite. But someone like Reed, he's, you know, he's a strong character. You can see that now and he's the success he's having at the minute. He's working at Notts Forest, he's working in Scotland, you know, as a coach. So you can see that. And then Sav's very different, you know, he's a different animal, different character. And how you deal with him is very different to how you deal with Reedy. You know, they are very different characters. But at the same time, again, you'll get the work ethic out of them, but sometimes you've got to handle probably somebody like Sav a little bit differently. You've got to be with him a little bit more. He needs a bit more hands-on to get him to do things. But once you get there and he gets your trust, then it's a no problem. You know, he's, he does the work and he gets on with it. You know, he's not a lazy person. He, he'll do his work, but you have to push him to do it. He needs a bit more of a push than Reedy. Um, and that's, you know, I'm saying that in the nicest possible ways. They both got to the end goals and they both had bad injuries at the time and both came back and played. You know, after very severe injuries. So, you know, no two people are the same. You know, and if we, oh, yeah, you should treat everybody like you would treat Steve. You can't do that because they're very different characters. You know, Craig Bellamy, a very different character. You know, you've got how you deal with those people. You know, Bellas is a great guy. He's, he's, he's often misunderstood. But in terms of, of where he is, his work ethic is phenomenal. You've just got to know how you handle them and how you get that to tick the box. That's That's the skill of the job, I think, rather than, you know, oh, well, it's the different characters. They are, but it's how you handle the characters. It's, it, it's, that's, that's part of the skill of being a physio, I think, you know, is that 
it, it's knowing how to deal with them and how to handle it and to get the right outcome. And hopefully that's, you know, as I say, I always think I've got on with everybody. I can't remember I've ever fallen out. I have fallen out with players, but we make up. But I tell them what it is and I tell them how it is. And if they don't like it, then I've got plenty of other people I want to see and do work with who want to work. So I can't think of anybody I've ever fallen out with for that reason. Mm. Yeah, one person that I saw about uh, who was speaking very highly of you was Roy Keane talking about his ACL rehab. Yeah. Now, how was that process? Very good. He was, again, I, I can only, people will make their own opinions of Roy and I can only praise him as a person, as a work person. His, his attitude to getting right was phenomenal. Um, I mean, when he got injured, it was at Leeds. And we were meant to play Juventus on the Wednesday. And uh, I remember looking at his knee, my first year at, first year, second year at Man U. I remember looking at his knee and I'm thinking, in the medical room on my own with Roy, I've, this is a big call, but I'm telling you, he's done his cruciate. You know, he, he tried to go back, couldn't do. I got hold of it and he could feel it, it had gone. He was very quiet. And so I went in to see the, one of the Leeds doctors said, could you do me a favour? Just come and watch what I'm doing. Just give me your opinion. As a second. So I, went, I said to Roy, I said, look, I'm, I'm pretty confident I know what's going on here. I just want a second opinion while we're here at Ellen Road. And the Leeds doc was great. And he went, no, I wouldn't disagree with your opinion at all. So we came back to Manchester. I took Roy to the hospital in, at Wally Range. Jonathan Noble came in. And at that time, they were going to scan him the next day. And I remember Roy sitting there. Roy and I were watching the TV. And I can remember it now. It was um, Celebrity Squares was on the TV. And all of a sudden, he got the remote. And he turned off. He went, so come on then. What actually is wrong with my knee? So I said, look, clinically, I think looking at you, you've torn your cruciate. We are going to get a scan. Well, let's get on with it. Well, we are getting on with it. And it will get done. And don't panic. It's all under control. I've got it. That's why I'm sat here, nursemaiding you at nine o'clock on a Saturday night. Your wife's coming around with some food for you. And then I'm going home for a couple of few hours before I come back tomorrow. So we are under control. Right. Okay. That's good. Then put the telly back on. He carried on watching the TV. <laughs> but from that minute on, he was, Roy was brilliant. And his attitude was, you know, we, we had a, a relationship where the attitude was right. I want you six days a week to work as hard as you can. On your seventh day, you can do what you want. Whatever your life requires, whether that's family time or social life, I'm not bothered. But on the six days you're here, this is the work ethic. Monday morning's what I'm going to do just to ease you in. Your, tra your training program will be on the desk. You come in the training ground at Carrington. You take the thing, you go in the gym. We don't speak on a Monday morning because I know you on a Sunday, you'll have had a busy day. You need to spend a bit of time on your own. Go and do your work. I'll cope with all the lads from the weekend and what's happening midweek because we had European games. And then Monday afternoon, we start. Monday afternoon, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, until the game on Saturday afternoon. You and me, that's where we go. Right, let's do it. And he was brilliant. Honestly, Andy, he was, he was absolutely, he's he just, if I'd have said jump off the top of the building, he would have jumped off the top of the building if he felt it was right and so on. And we, we got on really, really well. You know, and I, I cannot but praise him as a person. He was tremendous. And I, I hear all the stories and people see things and they make their own mind up, but I can only make my own mind up the way he was with me. And he was, he was brilliant as a patient and we still got on tremendously well. You know, you know, I'd, I, one of the regrets I'd always like to, I'd like to work for him as a manager. I'd just like to have been in that boat with him. And, and a couple of times I had the chance to, it never quite worked out, but I, I just think Roy's got something about him that, I enjoy working with him. I enjoy that enthusiasm. And all right, at times it gets a bit angry. Does it matter? Not really. We've just been honest professionals. And we were like that when we worked together. You know, if I didn't think he was working hard enough, I would tell him and he would, he would give me some stick back and we'd just not speak for half an hour, then we'd get on again. And, and, and it wasn't a problem. And to give you an example, and people don't see this side of Roy, when I left to go to Blackburn, my first day there, I get into the training ground and Brian McClare, who was the assistant manager, said, David, you've only been here a day, but there's a part, big box arrived from you. So I go over, open the box, and inside was all this, I don't know how much, waterford crystal. And I've still got it now on the shelves and in the house and so on. And there was like clocks and cutlery and all sorts of things from Roy and his wife, Teresa, to say thanks ever so much for what you've done. My first day at Blackburn, wow, you know, that tells you the sort of guy he is. And people don't see that side of him. And I had another player at Blackburn who was injured with the same problem. And I rang up Roy and I said, Roy, can you do me a favour? Can you just chat with Jonathan, you know, 
I said, he's done the same injury as you. And he was brilliant with him. And because this player I had at Blackburn was Irish, it, it, like Roy was God to him, you know, it was, and the 30 minutes that Roy chatted to him was probably the most valuable time he had in his rehab. And ironically, that player went on and played, he played over 550 games in professional football after his injury. And I'm sure part of that is just the support he got from Roy on the half an hour, chatted it through. They both came from the same part of the world. They both spoke the same effective language in terms of it. And they were very similar characters. So Roy was tremendous. No, he was good. Well, you know, if he gets another job, you may, may be getting a phone call after that. Anyway. Uh, you never know. You never know. <laughs> he knows that. I'd always work for him. He knows that. Yeah. Um, so when you're working with someone who's got that, such an important player, but it may not matter in terms of their importance. Yeah. If you've got someone who's got an ACL, they require a lot of rehabilitation. How do you manage that from a, um, like the, the other squad perspective? Um, I, I think that's, I, I understand what you're saying because you've got to, you've got to quantify your time. And there's times there where I've got to say to the players, look, this is your work, what I want you to do. I want you to go and do this, this and this. I'll come and join you in an hour. I've got other bits to do. And it's just rash. And then again, usually in the afternoons, you've got more time. So again, sometimes I would say to her, look, don't come in till 11 because I'm going to be busy till 11. Come in at 11 and then you've got my time till five, six o'clock tonight. And that's how we would do it. We'd just juggle the day. And the gaffer was, you know, again, not a problem because I knew I was managing it the right way. Then he hadn't got a problem with that. And again, it fitted in with Roy. You could drop the kids off sometimes. You know, and again, with any players, I've done that sometimes. If it fits in, if they live far away, and sometimes they want to do the school run and drop the kids off, then come in. Come in later, because that's great. It gives me a couple of hours with the other lads. So, it's again, it's just juggling, really, Andy, and just learning to pick the right times and the right places to do it. Um, so, I think it doesn't matter whether it's Man United or Staley Bridge FC United. It doesn't matter. The same criteria arrive there, really, in terms of what you do. Yeah. So you've done that, you've, you're, well, man, you have an absolutely amazing period and win the travel and was, the, was that the, what prompted you to think you wanted to leave then because you'd, you'd had that success? I think, yeah, I think, I think at the time, I think every job's got a lifespan on it and you got to that point and thought, well, if they win the treble, and at that time we were building Carrington, so I was working at the cliff um, and because I'd had an input into Carrington, that was great, but it wasn't the be all and end all. And um, I thought, you know, this, there's a chance that United might win the trouble. Perhaps my contract's coming up. Perhaps I should move on. Perhaps I should think about something else. And lo and behold, it does that the job at Blackburn came up. And again, I think you'll know this story, but at the time, my two youngest kids have both been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So I needed to be around for them. And the timetable at Man United, I either travelled to Europe, the hours I was doing... No disrespect to Blackburn, because we, I think we had six seasons in Europe when, we, when I was at Blackburn. So, but because I was nearer, I lived like five, ten minutes away from the training ground. It was actually so much easier than getting to Carrington, which is on the far side of Manchester, for those who don't know. So it was in that situation, you know, an hour and a, an hour and a quarter of a day of my time was travelling, two and a half hours, whereas I needed to be nearer for the kids. And uh, when the Blackburn job came up, I, I said, look, I'll, I, spoke, I met, Brian, obviously, and said, look, I've got a contract at United till the end of July. If United win the treble and they offer me a new contract, I won't renew it. I'll, I'll take the Blackburn job if you'll offer me it. And they went, that's fine. I said, but if United don't win the treble, I want to stay. Right, okay, that's fine. So, of course, we win the league. We beat Tottenham. So that's one out of the three. Then we beat Newcastle in the cup final. That's two out of three. And I'm thinking, this is a realistic chance here. And I'm going to Blackburn here. That's going to be an interesting conversation. And I can remember on the Monday before we went to Barcelona, speaking to the gaffer, say, gaffer, can I have a meeting with you on Friday? I thought, I better just prepare it. And if we lose, it's not a problem because I'll just do about the budgets and talk about next season. So that'll be fine. And he'll go, yeah, yeah, it's fine. We'll have a meeting on the... In fact, we've got, we're going to have a medical on Friday morning. We were signing Mark Bosnich. So I, you, you'll need to be in there, Linear, because Bosnich's coming. That's fine, not a problem. So, of course, we play the game. And then with what, a minute to go, I'm, I'm staying at Man United. And then in the craziest five minutes of my life, I'm leaving Man United and then I'm going to Blackburn when those two goals go in. So I can remember thinking, oh my God, this is unbelievable. And the only person who knew was Peter Schmeichel because Peter was leaving. And Peter and I became good friends and what have you. And I spoke to him on the Monday. I said, look, I've got a dilemma. I said, I've been offered the job at Blackburn, but I've told him I'm only going if, it's, if they win the treble. 
So, of course, when the game's finished, Peter came up to me and he went, what are you going to do? I said, well, you know me, I honour my word. I'll go to Blackburn. We've just won the treble. Why, why would I want to stay? You know, United haven't offered me a new contract yet, which I don't think was going to be a problem, but it was, it was, and that's the way it did at United. I said, but there's a job at Blackburn. I can be nearer my kids. I can be, the Blackburn had offered me, you know, a good contract, nearer home, great facilities, you know, that you know you've been and, and you've seen what they're like, but obviously Jack Walker, financially, anything we needed rehab-wise, it was going in. So I'm not going to be short of facilities, even though Carrington is going to be amazing. So I said, uh, I've got to do it. And so I went in on the Friday morning. Uh, Mark Bosnich was coming in at 10. So I pulled the gaffer at eight, went in, gave him my letter, and he went, you're a clever so-and-so. I said, right, so, well, we've just won the treble. You're coming in. You want more staff. You want this. I know your contract's up, so we're going to sort that out in the next few weeks. I said, you better read the letter before you say anything else, gaffer. So he picked the letter, opened it up, and he started to read me. He went, oh, my God, do you want to resign? And I didn't put where I was. I said, well, where are you going? I said, I've been, and before I had a chance to say anything, he went, don't tell me Blackburn. And him and Brian had obviously left on a, a bit of a rocky note when they, they split. And I went, Gaffer, you've got to think about it. I said, it's near a home. They've offered me a good contract. Yes, but they've got relegated. They're in, they're in, they're in Division One. I said, that doesn't matter. That's not the, that doesn't float my boat. I said, we've won the treble, but that, that's not the reason why I'm here, because I, I love working here. And I said, I love this job. I said, but you know the situation with my kids? I need to be nearer home for the kids. I said, and the gaffer had been great. He'd been really good about me sorting them out when they were getting diagnosed and all that. And uh, he said, look, it's not a problem. So I'll tell you what we'll do. He says, uh, we'll relocate you. We'll move you from where you live in, in near Blackburn. He said, we'll move you down to the training ground near Carrington. I went, gaffer, no, I don't want to move. I've got good schools. The kids were like three and four, so they were just starting school. So the schools are brilliant with them, where they are. I don't want to move them. I don't want to move him. He went, it's not a problem. Tell me do, we'll get your district nursing. She can do the injections. And, and I said, no, nah, my kid's my problem. I don't want to turn back in 20 odd years and decide that's, all right. I said, I tell you what I'll do. They said, just come in when it suits you. When, when you've done the injections, come in. I went, Gaffer, you're not thinking for Man United. You, it, what you're offering me is brilliant. I said, but in November, when we were playing Juventus on a Wednesday night and I'm back home doing injections to come back again for the kids. I said, uh, the lads are going to go, where's Dave? Oh, he's at home doing the kit. And the lads aren't going to be happy. And then you're going to get, think about it. It's not right for Man United. It's right for Dave Fever, but not for Man United. So that doesn't work. I said, I've made my mind. He said, look, think about it. You're going to do the medical. Think about it. I said, I've been thinking about it for weeks. I said, I don't need to think about it. I've made my mind up. This is the decision. He said, no, I won't spend another hour doing it while you're doing the medical. I went, it'd be a waste of time. He went, it won't. So I said, okay. So I went away. Came back in after done the medical. He went, what do you think? I went, exactly like I did two hours ago. I've given him a notice. I want to work my, I've got to work four weeks to the end of end of June. And then I want to start at Blackburn on the 1st of July. And he stood there and he, he said, you made your mind up? And I said, yeah. And uh, he just shook my hand and said, no problem. I totally understand what you're saying. And he was brilliant. And ironically, within two months of being there, Brian was sacked, Brian Kidd. And the first person who phoned me within a, Five minutes of happening was the manager. And they're going, are you all right? I went, yeah, I'm fine. I said, my job's all right. I think I'm going to be kept on and everything. That's good. He said, you do know your job's still here, you know? And I went, I know what you're saying, but you know me, Gaffer. I said, I've, I've signed a three-year deal. And if I sign a three-year, I'll do a three-year deal. I won't ever, ever back out of it. My dad always brought me up to do that. So I said, uh, that's what I'm going to do. Right, okay. So I left it. And then we had Tony Parks came in and we were doing all right. And then we would look like we might make the playoffs. And in January, we got beat by Barnsley 5-1. And I remember going to watch Man United Arsenal on the Sunday uh, with the orthopedic surgeon, Jonathan Noble, because we hadn't met, seen each other since I'd left. And he said, well, let's go and have dinner at the, in, at the ground. We'll watch the game and then we'll go have a drink with the gaffer and it'd be good to catch up. I said, no, that's fine. So we went in, went in the gaffer's office. Gaffer pulled me in the dressing room and he went to... Uh, he said, you got beat yesterday, didn't you? I said, yeah, 5-1. Yeah, I said, I don't think we're going to make the playoffs. And I said, look, why don't you come back? Your job's still here. You, you know, you can come back tomorrow. It's not a problem. I said, Gaffer, I love what you're offering me. And I, I would take it normally, but I've signed another two and a half years and I will not let them down. I will never let them down. My dad, my dad would not speak to me ever again if I did that. So I said, I've got, to, I'm going to stick it out. If in two and a half years, it suits everybody, then we'll think about it. But I said, I would never do it because my dad always said, honour your contracts, blah, blah, blah. And that's what I did. So 
he sort of offered him my job twice and then and that was it. And then I, obviously I got to Blackburn and I loved it. I loved, I loved being there, so it was fine. Mm. What would you say has been like, your most enjoyable experience, not particularly job, but an enjoyable experience throughout the whole sporting? <sighs> most enjoyable experience. I think going on the tours with the rugby, because again, you, I worked with a good doctor, or two different doctors who were excellent. But just being with the, those types of players, learning how to plan it all, traveling the world, you know, to go to Papua New Guinea for three weeks is an experience. Um, and it's not one I, I'm glad I've done it. And, and being in Australia, if you know, again, I would love to have lived in Australia because I loved Australia. I loved Australians and I loved the way of life. And I would happily have stayed there or New Zealand. Um, but it wasn't the right time or the right place or the right part of my life to do it. But that, that, was a really really good time because I think I think I changed then Andy from from where I was as a physio to where I became so I, I always look back at that and I think I said before my mum always said I'd changed a lot I'd become more confident I've changed in my personality because I had to you're working with 30 rugby league players you know I had a coach who was Malcolm Riley who I don't think really wanted me as the head physio so I had to convince him that I was okay at my job and and that was great and and, and but in rugby league that can be a difficult scenario so I had a few issues there trying to battle through that um, so in that situation I look back at that and I think that was probably the best time in terms of my development and and got me where I was so you people go oh it must be all the Man United things and it's not about the game don't get me wrong the Champions League finals brilliant but you know Blackburn we played in the Women's Cup final beat Tottenham when we run dogs that was pretty close to being as good as that you know so there's little things like that but I think the other ones are like when you're seeing players go back and play, like Roy going back and play, Jonathan Douglas going back and play, other people I've worked with, left, right and centre, whether it be players in in that sport or in other sports or in you know some of the work I've done with actors and music, those types of things. When you see those people on the stage again, having been injured, then that's, that's a massive part. Um, so I think that's probably the, the big thing. The, the, probably the event in terms of the of the sport itself would be the rugby, but I think in terms of actual, the enjoyment of actually seeing one of your patients go back and play to where they were. Stephen Reid going back and playing and playing for many years after that. So so those are big things, I think. Mm. Big things. And what would you say to someone who wants to get involved in physio as a profession? I think in terms of the sport, I said before about don't, don't knock any job because it's low down, because that's where you learn and that's where you get your, I think, I've always been taught that there are five key words. All right. You should be able to describe yourself in five words. And I've got my five. These are my, I have these on the board up at the top. All right. So these are my five key words and these are to motivate me. So every day I'll read that and go, right, that's my thing. And I, I had a player once that look at that list and he went, what's that all about? And I went, I said, um, I said, that's for me. It's not for you. That's for me to come in every day and motivate myself to work with you because that's the sort of pressure you put me. So he read it and he looked at it and he went, he said, you made a spelling mistake. And the second one down says provocative. He said, you mean proactive? I went, no, I don't. I said, I mean provocative. Sometimes with certain players, I have to pick a fight and I have to go in and I have to, I have to annoy them to get them to do some work. So I have to be provocative. So I said, that's what I've always been. So I think as a physio, I always say to people is that, Think about yourself now. Describe yourself in five keywords. So if I said to you, right, Andy, describe yourself in five keywords and then look at it in 12 months' time and go, am I still those five keywords? And I look at mine every 12 months and go, are those my five? Yeah, they are. I'll change that one and I'll, I'll change it. And I, and I do that. And not just every day I'll come in, read that. I write it in all the documentation I have. That's what I've got to think about. Right? That's what I'm going to be today. So when I'm sat on the team bus going to a game, even at Barrow now, going to the games, I go, right, am I going to be professional, provocative, reflective, honest, innovative? Yes. Right. That's me ticked off. I'm ready to go now. Mm. So. Oh, no, interesting. Yeah. So, that's, yeah, that's the way, I, that's the thing I would say to him. Yeah. And so, it, I mean, it still sounds like you're really passionate about the, the whole physio game. So, it's yeah. still going strong. So, what are the plans for you going forward? Um, at the moment, with obviously, I came out of football about three years ago full time because I decided at 55 I wanted to get out on the basis that I wanted to travel and do my job. So luckily now I've been traveling the world up until COVID. 
working in China, Dubai, Norway, Middlesbrough, Kilmarnock, <laughs> but but other areas. And the nice thing is, is that uh, I suppose in a way I'm lucky. When I when I decided to leave uh, football, I, I my notice period was 12 months, and my dad, like I said before, always taught me to do it. And I I said to Blackburn 12 months before my notice, I want to finish on this day in a year's time. And I worked my notice. And because people found out I was leaving, I had all these job offers that I put in a goldfish bowl and I could pick out what I wanted to do. So do I want to work with the FA doing the teaching, doing the trauma pitch side? Yes. Do I want to do this? For some, no, I don't want to do that. Do I, want to, do I want to do some things for rugby league? The same thing? Yes. Do I want to work with certain clubs? Yes. And now basically I just work freelance. So like now I'm working for Barrow, which most people might go, oh, EFL2, you know, the, just come up for the conference, but love it great enthusiasm the coaches I know well I know some of the players from Blackburn who were there the lads on the medical team I'm trying to help the young lads who are coming through there so it's great and, and I really enjoy it the FA teaching stuff is great because I see a lot of people there so um, we're teaching them about the trauma stuff on the pitch um, which again having worked with various A&E consultants paramedics orthopedic surgeons that's a great new thing for me that upskilling myself in terms of doing the trauma because um, I used to be a delegate on the other side of the fence. Now I'm a faculty teacher. So that's really good. I enjoy that. And again, working with these other medical professionals, you learn what their skill mix is. So it's helping me to understand that side of, of their job. So it's good and it's, it, it's enjoyable. And I just keep my options open. I mean, I, I think I, my plan was originally in September, I was going to go work abroad for a few months. But then, of course, COVID's happened and that's that sort of scuppered that thing mm. but um you know unfortunate that my wife's a physio as well so she can just shut the clinic if she wants to come sometimes she wants to come on these trips sometimes if i'm going i won't say which parts of the world where she doesn't want to come she just said no i'm not going so it depends but that's the beauty for us now our kids have grown up and doing that and, but no, no i still love my job i love doing what i'm doing and i love getting involved with all the other little things like with dr we know mutually that He's opening the clinic there, so I do a few patients for him. And But I won't get to the point where I want to go back and do seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Nah, I don't want to do that. I want to be able to now, now that I've got to this stage in my career, is to do lots of different jobs, keep it varied, travel here, travel there, try and help the younger physios coming through, and at the same time still have some clinical stuff. But I don't want, you know, admin-type jobs and sitting on councils and that's not me you know me look like that I'm, I'm more about working with players and and doing that and you know every so often you, and the nice thing is about this is that because it's freelance you never know in the next two minutes what phone call you get and somebody might say can you go here and see such, such a person can you go there and you know i've had that with you know musicians who work in manchester at the men i've had it with actors i've had it with you know people ring me and say oh i need a physio can you go and see a physio patient a client of mine based in you know, in, in this part of the world, yeah, not a problem. So I might go and do that for a week. Um, and again, I'm lucky my wife's happy to let me go for a week. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to go to Norway for the week to look after Morton Pedersen and things like that because he's still playing. Um, so so those types of things are great. You know, you suddenly get your ticket and you're off. But again, of course, with COVID, that's been put on hold, really. But the um, sooner we get this sorted, the better. Exactly. No, well, Dave, that's been brilliant. Always really right. looking to you and listening to you. So thank you very much for your time. No problem. Um, yeah, we'll look forward to seeing where you get, get off to next. All right, mate. Brilliant. Cheers, Dave. Thank you.